Sosin, and this is Six Degrees of Innovation, a podcast that grew out of my natural curiosity and love of innovative solutions to big and little challenges. Each episode, I'll speak with someone who is making an impact in an innovative way. Listen in as we talk about what got them started, what problem they're tackling, and how it's going. This week, I'm talking to James Scroggs who was a guest lecturer during my coursework and spoke about what bringing one's whole self to work means, using your passions as your North Star, which helped me rethink my career goals in some ways. For James, that has meant tirelessly tackling challenges related to inequity and mental health with innovative market disruptions and brand and product strategy. In addition to the project we'll be discussing today, his work as the chair of Calm, the campaign against living miserably, has been really powerful, and I'll link to that in the show notes. I don't know if he would describe himself this way, but I would say that James is a rock and roll entrepreneur for social impact or infiltrating the status quo to better work for marginalized communities. Apparently, I'm really good at coming up with titles for other people. But anyway, rather than me trying to describe James, I'll let you listen while we talk about one of his latest ventures, New Working Class, a new approach to college that disrupts learning and integrates workforce development and the high street. Before we start this conversation, let me give a quick explainer on a few terms for the American listeners. First, college. In the UK, students graduate the equivalent of high school at age 16. College is a two-year program that is meant to provide practical skills to prepare students for work or to prepare them for certain academic tracks at the bachelor's level. It's a little bit like community college. The high street. The high street is a concept similar to what we would call Main Street in the U.S. It's the business center of an area where you'll find everything from retail shops to restaurants to grocery stores, services like salons, that kind of thing. It's both a literal place, but also a reference to the retail sector. More than that, it's also a real community network. For a variety of reasons, high streets are seeing a decline in business and the community that comes with high street business is suffering as well. I think that's just some helpful context here. Hi, James. Thanks so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, so I met you for the first time when you came and spoke with my master's course, and you were telling us about um, your your career trajectory and, and how you had gone um, from marketing and branding into really um, tackling some some bigger, more complex uh, issues in, and you spoke a lot about your work with Calm, which was really fascinating, um, and how you really make sure that you are using your um, your skills and your strengths to move the needle on things that that really matter. And um, and that was just something that really stayed with me throughout my whole course, and and I think in some ways kind of changed the way I I thought about where I'm going and where what I want to bring my skills to and what. Uh, and sort of vice versa. And so, um, so first, just thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> thank you. It's a one plus one exercise, right? It just converts <laughs> people on an individual basis. So good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that there's, um, yeah, I, I think I feel so much more excited about a career where I um, bring my whole self 
than where, you know, focusing on something that just involves uh, tactics uh, that I'm that I'm good at. So, uh, yeah. Um, but one of the things that you were also telling us about that day, in addition to uh, some of your other ventures, was new working class. And this is, um, I think, a really incredible opportunity to change the way um, the traditional education model has has worked and um, in the past and and in particular kind of addressing some of the gaps that the standard model have have created today in the 21st century um and so I was wondering if first you could just start with an explanation of what new working class is and how um, how the idea was born Okay, so um, New Working Class, or NWC, love an acronym. Uh, <laughs> NWC is a new type of FE and HE college for those people who don't thrive in traditional educational environments um, for reasons of not really making sense of classroom learning um, and particularly in FE and HE feeling a greater need to go out and work and maybe put bread upon the table for their families. Um, and also because they probably have practical skills that they want to exercise way ahead of intellectual skills. And we know full well that there's a huge amount of people who are kind of left out by the traditional educational path, which is, in my experience as a Gen X male, has always been very linear mm -hmm. um, and is based on the principle of what you don't know rather than building on the the muscles you do have or the experiences you might have or the interests you might have. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to be speed dated uh, in a business sense with my co-founder, Christy Traore, who has spent 25 years in college education. Um, and I have no such claim to fame or credentials, um, but have spent nearly 30 years now um, doing lots of other things in the kind of enterprise space. And uh, we hatched this idea of um, putting education directly on a community high street and enticing people to stay on and complete their educational studies whether that's at an FE level which is kind of level three A level equivalent or through undergraduate all the way to postgraduate on the basis that we run um, courses that have as much practical application as they might academic application. So the pursuit of qualifications is not the primary driver yeah, it goes hand in hand with the pursuit of building a CV um, and earning as as much as learning. And the spirit that somebody at the end of, uh, whether that's a three-month course, a six-month course, or frankly, two years of an accelerated undergraduate degree, ends up having spent as much time practicing what they're learning in real-world businesses based on the high street um, and cycling through what I regard as the kind of front of house, middle of house, and back of house of the working experience, because we're not all front people. Mm -hmm. um, but at the age of 17 or 18 or, or, or older, um, too often you don't get the chance to really experience the different roles within business and really come to know yourself and build the confidence to know where you fit, not only within your career, but also within broader kind of society. So the college is really aimed at repurposing people within a given community and putting them back into their community as better citizens, better workers, and with greater skills and confidence about where they sit in the world. So that's the kind of, that's that's the basic pitch. And we, are, we have spent three years developing this concept. Uh, we've had the most extraordinary team of about 30 people working pro bono with us for the last three years. Uh, as I have learned, de-risking 
the operating side of uh, an educational environment because clearly it's it's subject to all sorts of regulatory compliance stuff um but also then uh in in my world building a huge swathe of different kinds of partnerships who are going to come and execute around us as my good friend adam scott from free state calls it it's the festivalization of education so we take a, a very public space which is going to be a shopping mall um and in that shopping mall which currently has 76 percent vacancy within it we're going to reignite all of these empty retail shelves with learning and working environments that will move from uh, new retail ideas to you know food and beverage ideas to co-working spaces to all sorts of different kinds of enterprises for the students to cycle through and we hope in doing that kind of create a real heart back on the high street of the community where we launch so that's nwc in short where it came from for me and i can only speak on my behalf because it's a different podcast for christy um 20 odd years ago I joined MTV as marketing director and I was very struck and this was at the time when the kind of digital world really hadn't properly started I think the first kind of footprint of MySpace was appearing and and things like Napster were disrupting the the music space mm -hmm. and I was I was particularly struck at MTV that youth culture um was facing quite a uh, an inordinate kind of transition and the, the first response to the web being a, a kind of place of information, which was a downloading space, um, was a lot of young people were kind of turning back to the kind of most innate, slightly punk skills of building fanzines. And, and it, our, our reception in Holy Crescent in Camden suddenly became awash with handmade stuff that young people were bringing to us as an expression of where they really sat in the fabric of culture. And then I remember sitting with our then um, global creative director, a guy, amazing guy with amazing glasses called Christian Hoffrey. Uh, <laughs> and, we, and we remembered the, the moment and we were kind of celebrating the moment or acknowledging the moment when uploading became the thing for the web. And it became a kind of publishing empire for young people who were clearly natively much more kind of useful in the digital space and, that, and, and out of that, you know, YouTube and Facebook and all those other platforms that we know and loathe um, started hmm. to emerge. And all the way through that, I, I had started a conversation with our then CEO at the time about the space next door to our studios, which was going through an endless cycle of, you know, a pizza parlor and then a bar and then a fish and chip shop and all that sort of stuff. And I was going, I, I wonder what would happen if MTV were to take over effectively a young person's incubator because I could see there was so much industry from 16, 17, 18 year olds who didn't really seem to have an outlet for it. And I felt like if any brand could put its arms around and nurture young talent, MTV could. And this was in the days before kind of incubators became a thing. I think they came rather later than that. And they tended to be around tech because it enabled mm -hmm. Quickly, and I thought, what if what if I was to invite a bunch of 17, 18 year olds in into an incubator? I could guarantee at that point it probably wouldn't be tech because they were kind of slightly overawed by the digital space. And uh, and I had it in my head that it was going to be called the House of Opportunity, which ended up becoming a consulting name for me because it was a sense of how do you create a safe environment in which young people began to explore what their talents were and what their skills might be and and what kind of businesses they might cooperate around. 
And 20 years later, it felt like that opportunity was still there. And I'd done mm -hmm. all sorts of other venturing and done, as you said in your introduction, done quite a lot of work in, in mental health and kind of social space. And I thought it there still feels like there's this gap between what education leaves young people with and what employers expected them. And the employability gap felt like a really interesting place to play because increasingly, I think for Gen Z, and I'm sure it's going to be even more so with Gen A, is that young people were coming out of college going, I don't really fit in the traditional linear career path. And I'm looking left and right. And alone, I might not have very much. But when I can join forces with my peer group, I suddenly have a chance to create something that's much bigger than me. And the kind of the whole is much greater than the sum of the parts. Or maybe the sum of the parts actually is much greater than the whole. And that if we can collaborate, and this is a time when, you know, you kind of look at the Stormzy, for example, in the in the kind of music and ultimately cultural space where it's not about Stormzy, it's about his whole crew. And it's about the combined talents that creates an iconic British um, figure. And so NWC is really, for me, is strangely, you know, 13, 14 years of um of, of no sorry 20 years of kind of <laughs> thinking about how do you empower a generation um to feel better about themselves and to find their place in the world which ties very neatly into kind of the, the conversation around purpose etc mm -hmm. but i would love to believe that we can uh build upon the skills and experience of young people to change their own lives and if they could only improve their own lives then maybe society would be in a better place i think that um i think that that Gen Z and and I and I guess even into the millennials and this, the um, all of the people who sort of grew up as digital natives um, are in such an interesting place when it comes to how they're viewed professionally um, because they they do have this sort of just level of knowledge that they just absorbed because it was the way the world was working in a way that those of us who are a little older had to then learn. And as you were, as you were talking about what it would have, you know, can you imagine an incubator for, for young adults? Um, I think it connected to what you were saying about NWC is, is based on what you do know and traditional education models are based on what you don't know. And it just struck me that, that, in the in the space of of digital and social media and things like um, music and 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 things like that, you know, when you were talking about Napster and and being able to upload music, there's this um, sort of assumed model that that these young people don't don't know anything yet. They don't know business, and in fact, they were really the ones who knew how to make all of this really work. And so in thinking about NWC, giving people the opportunity to focus on what they do know and getting the, um, the underpinnings or the materials that can help hold that up just really struck me. And it's um, interesting. I don't think I realized that NWC for you started as an idea so long ago and the connection to, um, to, the, to sort of the onset of the digital world is really interesting to me. Well, so so if I think about twenty years ago, we were we 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 all had a wake up. I mean, I was what what was I then thirty thirty something? Yeah, thirty one, thirty two when I joined MTV, and and we 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 were at the dawn of the age of the information economy, mm -hmm. and out of that came a kind of social world, and and you know the the six degrees of separation now between young people who are digitally native, sharing information and and building relationships 
you know, not all of which have been entirely healthy, as is well understood. <laughs> but now we seem to have entered into an experience economy world where the digital world is not enough and more emphasis from more people is back down to the reality of what is the experience. So if I think about my own life in the retail trade in, in the last kind of five, six years, um, everybody, and again, it was a it was a sort of inspiration for NWC, is everybody was busy ringing the death bell saying that, that you know, the Great British High Street was dead and retail was dead. And, and all the way through that, I was scratching my beard and going, well, yes, so the distribution world that the, the, the you know, um, the web enables for easy access, one click to products, um, you know, and those huge warehouses is now up and down lining the uh, M1. It's all well and good, but actually in reality, people still crave experiences. And mm -hmm. my belief um, was that, that retail had to evolve back to what I grew up with, which is the excitement of going to a, going to a high street because there were things to touch mm -hmm. and there were experts to talk to. And there were conversations to be had and there was, you know, cups of coffee, I'm a coffee addict, cups of coffee to be drunk, experiencing lots of people engaged in the kind of marketplace. Uh, and my belief is that this young generation still crave that. Mm -hmm. And I think a college campus can create that kind of experience. So my heart bleeds, you know, post pandemic, that so much of the education space is still sort of trying to languish online. Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to putting kids back onto campus and giving them all those extraordinary social experiences, many of which are deeply uncomfortable, as we remember. But the social <laughs> experiences of being together in a space, that doesn't mean in a lecture theatre being kind of barked at or being you know, presented with reams of information, but, but enabling people, as it were, to, to, to collect around a campfire and to be curious about mm -hmm. each other's experiences. And I think that, so this is, for me, this is deeply analog, not because I'm against digital, but, but, I, but I believe that this particular audience and generation do crave the analog, do crave the need to get back into the hearts of their community on the high street and have shared experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's, um, I think what you were talking about going from, from information to experience is really interesting. And I think we can see it in the way social media use has changed it used yeah. to be you know i will seek information and i will post information and now so much more of it is about i will engage with someone else's post and i don't fully understand tiktok but the way you can respond to other people's tick now i feel really old but anyway um you know i think that the, <laughs> the the way in which you see people using social media has changed so dramatically in the past couple of years and i do think you're right i think it is about a desire for community and connection and um sort of to that point one of the things that i find really exciting about nwc is the sort of breaking down of the physical barriers between uh the learning environment and the earning environment sort of as you used those two words earlier um yeah. and how that experience makes learning more meaningful i think probably um and engaging and so um could you could you talk a bit about how you foresee engaging the um businesses within the shopping center in the NWC experience kind of building that that merged community so I guess a couple of comments one is uh, in the bids to try and find a way through the kind of HE issue of the amount of students now coming out of school 
looking for further education and and training the world seems some or policy would seem somewhat obsessed with apprenticeships mm -hmm. and one of the things that i've learned through my business partner christy is that apprenticeships traditionally ask a quite a young person to make a decision about their vocational journey and therefore you are learning skills for a particular job Mm -hmm. Our belief is that we need to develop skills for all. So the breadth of the um, working experience that we want to give any student is, and they may they may come already with a job, by the way, then it's not that we suddenly impose ourselves upon them in, in terms of the working world, but we want to give them the opportunity to cycle through a number of different kinds of working experiences, uh, both paid and voluntary. Um, mm -hmm. And the the kind of the shape of the experience is such that the, the intersection between classroom and kind of academia and practice in a working environment is, for me, the exciting part of this project. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, it's, and it expresses itself quite literally in the space, insofar as if you can imagine a traditional kind of 60s shopping mall that are litter, litter the country up and down, and most of which are largely redundant and obsolete at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they naturally have a mezzanine floor. So they operate on floors and the ground floor is a public thoroughfare or a public realm. And uh, and upstairs are, you know, kind of offices that serve retail environments underneath or indeed further retail environments. So we have this kind of uh, wedding cake effect that we're able to create, which is upstairs is a learning environment and downstairs is a trading environment. And uh, unlike most academic um, institutions that in a sense, as I would attest, feel quite uncomfortable because you step over the threshold and it says college or university above it. And suddenly you have to feel like I have to put a mortarboard on and be terribly erudite. Quite <laughs> like the notion that actually stepping in over the threshold of our college will feel like going to the shopping centre because it should be filled with the community going about their business, doing what they do in shopping centres. It's just that that interfaces with students bettering themselves, moving between a learning environment and a working environment. So that that is, in a sense, uh, invited all types of different businesses to engage with us as to how that would feel mm -hmm. in the space. And why would they come to a largely abandoned shopping centre and join a college proposition, uh, you know, a, a college pilot? Because, you know, we're, we've got to pilot the thing first. Um and the reality is that they're quite a we all know that there's a labor issue in in the market at the moment most people in their most businesses now in their bid to find something purposeful are actually very interested in education because they're quite like the notion of upskilling their own workforce um so you know whether whether it's a 17 year old or frankly whether it's you know continual professional development for their more senior staff there's something about attaching themselves to an to an educational institution which is naturally attractive but also doing it within a commercial environment makes it doubly attractive so we we have been lucky enough to negotiate with our landlords to basically incentivize people to come and sit around us and, and literally, quite literally, metaphorically as well, sit around us on the campfire where the, 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 the town square of this particular shopping centre is a town square in which students will run a programme of stuff for them, learning stuff and performance stuff and selling stuff and community interactions. And, and you, it doesn't take too much to, to, to feel like it's becoming a kind of festival occupied by local people, some of whom are students, uh, some of whom are not. But that kind of move between learner and worker and citizen is the thing that I think is going to be so enthralling to watch because that's at the heart of the experience economy. That's um, 
I can't wait to see how this works. I think this feels like such a great opportunity for um for for students and for the for the local businesses and for the local community to to know that this that this is um happening in their midst. Um and in particular in a shopping center where we um have certainly seen businesses uh bis- businesses leave and um I think that that finding a new use for a sh- for shopping centers that can be um beneficial on multiple levels I think is really really exciting um well it's interesting because it changes the way so again from a retail experience having had experience this firsthand it changes the way you think about the space it changes mm-hmm. the way and it will challenge the way for example we pay business rates on the space because the traditional route is you pay for the space and you're worried about you know frankly the pounds per square inch made from selling stuff in that space if we could challenge that, then we'd challenge the use of traditional retail environments, which are frankly white boxes. They could be anything. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of them, right? They're ready for anything. Um, and it, it changes the way you think about the economics of that space um, and how th- the, these large swathes, swathes of the Great British High Street can be utilized for other purposes that aren't just about margin and product density uh, in a given box. We've got to get away from retail boxes. We've got to see them as stages. So the, the way we have designed our utilization of the space is effectively like theater in a sense that we have a very fluid modular system by which we're able to occupy the space and we will be co-designing it both in terms of the physical experience, but also then the kind of uh, the programmatic experience with the students so they can determine that a particular box during the week might shift in its use um, and serve their learning and working needs as opposed to them being it's being particularly kind of um, a red line as they say in the in the in the developers language a red Mm -hmm. line that needs to be charged a certain way and used a certain way Mm -hmm. so like you i'm excited to see how it works and that part of the beauty of this is we will test and learn as we go there is no fixed answer we're interested in permanently probing the right kind of question about how to get the best value out of a body of people and an extraordinary set of spaces Mm -hmm. and it feels like it's the sort of thing that will be different um with each new new cohort of students and will as will change as um both as the students change and then also as you know the businesses involved change through their own evolutions um and i think that that sounds really exciting because that is how real life works um i think one of the one of the hard things about traditional education is that you're sort of taught how things work when all circumstances are perfect um and known and that's just not really the way real life functions um so i think having that element of of um change and growth and and unknown is really good um, yeah, I've become a bit. There's a, there was a piece that somebody put out on um, on LinkedIn of late on on uh, a purposeful life and using mm-hmm. the Japanese term ikigai. And you know, it's a series of Venn diagrams. And I tend to think very visually about models, etc. And, and there there was there's just something innately exciting about changing the the model for how people have a more purposeful life both internally within themselves but also then externally within their community and how they utilize the resources within that community and that's the kind of thing that i would love to think that in a 
in a couple of years time when we've done our longitudinal impact research and study which again will be co-designed by the students so that we really understand what does upskilling mean in the community how does how does fe and he no longer be what i was brought up to believe that it's kind of a springboard out of your where you were brought up was your kind of your exit strategy how does it become your retention strategy how do we keep talent within our communities and reinvest back into them so we're less subservient to the big multinational employer or big box retailer that to date has been the life and soul of our community um and i and i think this notion of ikigai and the notion of 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 really exploring what purpose means purposeful means for young people is just dead exciting because i'm not sure it's going to be the way it has looked when i was growing up or the mm -hmm. expectations that were put upon me. I think it will look massively different. I think the spirit of cooperation will be absolutely at heart of its success. Um, I th do you think that um, that young people today have a more uh, heightened awareness of their purpose than maybe we did growing up in the 70s and 80s? I definitely think it is a question that is much more publicly debated um, insofar as I think the issues in society feel less, um, frankly, under control or in the hands of um, systemic authority. Mm -hmm. I think, I think a, a lot of young people are now questioning, well, who's actually going to address some of the big kind of systemic issues of the day? Um, and they're not really feeling the leadership coming from governments or policymakers, or indeed uh, corporate leaders. Um, I think they're looking to each other. I was, I, I've been doing some lecturing at the University of Roehampton um, on the sociology of music, um, and I designed and delivered a module. And, and one of the one of the one of the sessions I did with them was about women in music, which was fascinating because I got them to do a market map around women in music. And one of the kind of headlines that came out of the mark the market map was that they didn't feel like there were um, relatable female icons, either from a business point of view or a music point of view, um, because it felt like these these women had achieved extraordinary things, but but somewhat on terms of um, kind of traditionally patriarchal system, and and, I, and it really got me thinking. Much as it was fascinating to see the map. Uh, women in music but it was really got me thinking about so if there aren't those role models and they don't see the value and the agency in adhering to those traditional systems I wonder what they would create if they were given the safe environment to incubate their own version and I'm not an anarchist and I'm not espousing kind of chaos theory or anything else but I do think that uh, people's view and and understanding of their own purpose will ultimately lead them to progress in ways that perhaps traditionally we have been told not to listen to that essential creative um, and curious muscle that I think we're all born with. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think um, the, the question struck me because I, I was uh, thinking about just sort of how I think it it took a little longer, um, maybe a little more life experience and maturing for for my friends and me and people sort of of our age to really think much about purpose and meaning. And it, we were sort of stuck in the you know you the school and then the work and then the money and then the family and then the da 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 da, da, da and then you can think about purpose. Whereas 
young people that I know today feel like they have a much better grip on on who they are, or maybe not who they are, but but what really matters to them in a way that I think does give them um, space to really explore in a in a um, more limitless way, which I think is is amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, as a fifty year old, fifty nearly fifty two year old male, I remember all too well and all too painfully now. I reflect back is that success was always going to be a series of gates that you had to pass through mm-hmm. on a quite a linear uh, and frankly self-interested competitive journey mm-hmm. um and and purpose in my reflections as a middle-aged man tends to dawn on people rather late in the day when all of that either comes to naught or they've achieved the summit of their ambition and then they go okay i've made lots of money and i've got all these trappings now what am i doing what am i here for mm-hmm. and, and i think the sort of the, the mythology of that breaking down generationally means that they're much more willing and frankly somewhat by necessity zigzagging around going if i if i can't afford a house because i can't raise a mortgage because i don't get paid enough i've got to get my value from somewhere right mm-hmm. and, I, and I, as a result i think they're much more attuned and in search of what is the thing that makes them get out of bed in the morning what's the thing that makes them sleep well at night and it's probably not all the trappings that i was led to expect Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be something much more about personal fulfillment and personal agency and identity with others, cooperative identity with others. Um, and I don't think it's easy because I think that probably s- some of the mental health crisis that we seem to be sitting within is because people are spending a lot of time or more time reflecting in a way that we weren't really in, allowed to when I was young. Mm-hmm. Just simply that sort of stuff wasn't countenance. You were told to put up or shut up. Um, now there's quite a lot of reflection going on and, and there's good sides of that and there's also bad sides of that. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, definitely. The, um, <laughs> reflecting back to a moment ago when you said, you know, you're not an anarchist, but um, the, I, I think the NWC is this in, incredible example of disrupting a system that is, you know, centuries old. Um, and in some ways it does feel like... Um, really sort of blowing up blowing up a system from the inside and at the same time in in part because of you know regulatory restrictions and 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 things like that you are somewhat limited in how much of a disruption uh you can make and so um i guess could you could you speak a bit to how you see um disruption in this venture i think most importantly Christy and I didn't set about this to be disruptive or blow anything up. And actually, I, I think that's, you know, that's a fool's errand, frankly, because it, it suggests you want to create a massive firework display and then, you know, be famous before you've actually proven very much. So I'm, I'm not a big subscriber to disruption in the way that I think it is often ascribed to people. Um, I'm much more interested in pathfinding um, and piloting and taking some steps away from the orthodoxy. Um, and it's not because the orthodoxy is wrong. It's just that there surely is an opportunity for a different path, certainly for marginalized people who would otherwise not go into FE and HE and go through a, th- this kind of level of learning experience. Um, I, I, I have this slightly crap analogy of or metaphor of striking a match. And the danger with people, who are particularly um, kind of innovators, is they strike a match and then everybody thinks that you should pour paraffin on the match to create the ultimate fire. Uh, anybody who's ever tried to light a fire, pouring paraffin on it is the last thing you should do. It blows out way once paraffin's burnt. 
the thing goes out as quickly as you started it. Uh, I have this metaphor in the head that you strike a match and you protect the match and you nurture it, you protect the flame and you carry the flame because you're trying to move, you're trying to make progress. And therefore it has to be done very delicately, very gently, and you keep making steps forward. Um, and so disruption happens because uh, in three, four years time, you look back and you realize how far you've come or how far you've deviated from the norm. Not because that's necessarily the intent. Um, because I think that becomes arrogant. And and I don't think this enterprise has arrogance at its heart. It is just trying to find a slightly different pathway forward for a group of people who are otherwise stuck in a system that doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're really big on on not blowing our, despite the fact I seem to be on podcasts at the moment, we're very big <laughs> on not going out and kind of using a soapbox or, or sitting, you know, talking about being on a burning platform because I don't, just don't see it like that. Um, very interested in doing this by stealth. So even insofar as we haven't gone public about where we're doing our first pilot college um, is on the basis that I don't want to be one of those people who kind of have a sort of saviour messianic view of what we're trying to do. We want to stand alongside people and make change culturally in the community at a grassroots. And then we're happy for people to shine a spotlight. But frankly, I don't want to be the mouthpiece for this. I'd like a student whose life is slightly different to be the mouthpiece for this. Mm-hmm. Um, that for us is fundamentally what success looks like. Um, has has the has the program actually started yet, or is it and um, has it started and is just not public, or or has it not ac- um, enrolled students yet? No, we we've um, we we are due to start in the next six to eight weeks with a test cohort. Okay. Okay. The test cohort, in a sense that, uh, uh, and this is a bit I will talk about. Uh, I just love the notion that day one of a college. So, my, in my experience of business is that you know, particularly kind of entrepreneurial businesses, is you spend or oh, you spend millions of pounds and many many nights and moons developing something, and then there's a big reveal, and everybody goes, "Ta! There it is! Look at what we've been doing!" And the world shrugs, and we all move on. Uh, this is quite the opposite. So, uh, uh, day one is we actually want our first cohort of students to come to what is effectively an empty shopping centre, and day one is them working with us to co-design and cooperate around the development of that shopping centre into a college environment. Uh, which means that you know, as soon as we start, we start. It's not that we're going into a you know a kind of uh, particularly in the real estate world development process. That means that actually our first student doesn't start for another two years while we make sure that the walnut cabinets are in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we haven't started yet. Okay. We, we are due to start imminently. That's exciting. I so I was asking because I wasn't sure if you if you have any students yet to to be that spokesperson. But um, no, not yet. Okay, that's going to be. I think that's going to be such an incredible experience. How have you? Um, how do you? How do you recruit for this? Like, how do you recruit for a program that is just starting? Uh, by being on the ground. So, uh, uh, Christy and, and I and the team have quite a reputation already down in the place we're launching. Uh, just by being present, and we've been on the ground talking to people and in meetings and you know running running all sorts of exercises, skirmishes, I think they might have been called in military terms, um, <laughs> on the ground in the community now for the best part of two years. So we're not alien, and I hope we will not be greeted like aliens. I think we might be greeted like 
oh, you're actually doing something finally. That'd be nice. <laughs> uh, um, so spending quite a lot of time on the ground, speaking to people and, and going through uh, what is effectively quite old school recruitment, which is which is being available for people to ask what we're doing on the street mm-hmm. um, and, and getting people to be curious and, and uh, finding out more about us. Uh, there's no great engineering genius behind that. But, it, but equally, as I know from the charitable space, it's not chugging either. Mm-hmm. We're not hoping people will put you know, a pound in the bucket. Um, we actually want to engage with them in telling their story to become part of its story. Amazing. That's wonderful. Um, well, I feel like I probably have more questions about NWC, but I will pause for now um, and maybe circle back once uh, once the program has launched and everything is public and we can reflect a little bit more then on how uh how it's all unfolded but i would like to ask you my um my final question that i ask my my uh guests which is who or what organization is doing something really innovative um uh that has you excited and that you're interested in seeing seeing where it goes (laughs) so i'm going to be a little contrarian here so i I am currently (laughs) obsessed with matty healy of the 1975 that uh extraordinary pop band and the reason i'm obsessed with matty healy is um a number of different things one is their backstory of being a you know a manchester-based indie band who couldn't get signed for many years uh drove them and their manager who i think is the fifth member of the band in many respects to build their own empire and prove it themselves um, and dirty hit their label which i regard as a kind of um as an institution now of creativity and and doing things their own way um, speaks to what happens when the industry doesn't know quite how to compute what you are and where you fit and i think all power to them for going well i don't really care i'm going to do it our way so that's the first thing the second thing is i think as an artist what he has done to explore all different you know within the limitations of you know his vocal cords and his musical talent etc he has explored so many different aspects of what it might be to be uh four friends who make music and he's really unashamed in going into places that i suspect most of the time he's not very welcome and i really admire that he is not trying to be one thing he is really interested in how his own artistic exploration develops and then the third thing is that uh there is something about what he has done with this latest stage show, which I took my 17-year-old son to, which is kind of uh, part play, part performance, part greatest hits set, part rock gig, part pop gig. Um, I was lucky enough to be at the O2 when Taylor Swift came out midway through the performance and sang a couple of songs. And it, def- it definitely felt like, as somebody who's been to a ridiculous amount of concerts since I was 11, uh, and the first major concert I ever saw was Prince in 1985, perform at Wembley Arena and completely changed my life. The show that we saw at the O2 recently with my son and I was definitely of that ilk, which is they were playing with all the parameters of what you'd expect in a rock show, unapologetically expecting people to lean in and go, uh, how does that work? And I, that just, I, you know, I think business could learn a lot from that story. I think, uh, I think, um, Music and entertainment could learn a lot from it. There was something joyous about its experimentation. And yes, it was lost on a proportion of the audience, but I don't think that's any bad thing because they were kind of scratching their scratching their chins and going, I don't really know what I'm supposed to take of this. It's all a bit, <laughs> it's all a bit Kafka-esque. 
Um, but I think he is a. I think he is an extraordinarily innovative um, artist, and I and most of my reference points in my life has always been around music and musicians. And God rest his soul, Prince. But um, Matty Healy is currently he's my go-to. Matty Healy and Nick Cave are my go-tos for all theorizing about business and innovation at the moment and purpose. That's um, speaking of Nick Cave. I don't know if you saw. He just had a. Um an interview recently, I can't remember where it was, if I can find it, I'll send it to you, um, about um, how his how his son's death really changed the way he um, approached life. And he's always had such an interesting relationship with spirituality and and how he's he's gone through yeah. this sort of big change lately. It was um, it was really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's um, extraordinary. His conversation, his conversations are, in a sense, more powerful than any music he's ever made now. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a he has an extraordinary view on things which um are, are, are almost becoming uh ministry to me and i'm not a particularly religious person but i think his his attachment to spiritual themes is really extraordinary yeah Very compelling. yeah did you see um the documentary it was at the barbican last spring i think um that was around the um it was basically around the the most recent album that he Ghosting, put out yeah yeah. yeah yeah it was amazing it was an incredible incredibly moving documentary and really beautiful and and also had live recording and uh, it was it was amazing yeah, yeah yeah he's a talent and and you know we're talking of talking of people with midlife reflections to think that he's at his most powerful at 63 mm -hmm. you know and, I, and i'm sure given his uh earlier heroin habits and everything else you know he's probably he's probably touched the hem of god a few times in his life uh yeah. but but seeing a 63 year old still do and exploring his art i think is extraordinary anyway mm -hmm. i agree i agree that's um that's a conversation for another day as well i guess yes, yes. <laughs> well thank you so much james i really i appreciate this conversation and um and i can't wait to see what happens with nwc and um and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing how it's going and Thank perhaps you. maybe to meeting a student and hearing from them as well. Yeah, great. You must come down when we're live. Yeah. I'll absolutely. you the wink. <laughs> great. Thank you so much. All right. Very good. Thanks for joining me for this conversation. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. Special thanks to James Scroggs, my guest today. You can find the relevant links in the show notes. And thank you to you for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and maybe one day I'll be the next Sarah Koenig. Podcast music is Strangers in the Night by Vocalista, downloaded from Upbeat.io.